Hello and welcome to Minter Dialogue, episode number 88. This interview, recorded on January 27, 2014, is with Ashley Friedland, who is CEO and co-founder of eConsultancy, with whom I've had the pleasure to work over the last couple of years on the subject of digital transformation in business. Ashley is running a business that focuses on one of the essential most strategic issues facing most any business, and it's digital. eConsultancy has a great product with an interesting approach that I'm sure you'll appreciate. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Minter Dialogue Internet Show, where we discuss brand marketing with a focus on all things digital. I am Minter Dial, author of TheMindset.com, that's T-H-E-M-Y-N-D-S-E-T, where branding gets personal. You'll find the show notes on the blog for the upcoming interview. Let's cut to quick. Enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome to the Minter Dialogue Show. Today, I have the CEO and co-founder of eConsultancy, Ashley. Tell us who you are and what you do. Hi, Minter. Uh, it's Ashley Freeland, as you uh, correctly pointed out, um, CEO and co-founder of eConsultancy, which, uh, yeah, got that right, uh, which I set up in 99, so that's the last millennium now. That's uh, 15 years. Yeah, I had something on LinkedIn recently saying I'd been working at the same place for 15 years, which is a long time, apparently. Yeah. Well, especially in our world. And, and, and on top of that, you, you founded eConsultancy before the, uh, the boom and bust. Yes, that's right. I mean, the original vision... Well, strangely, the name actually came from, uh, I bought it back in as a domain name, eConsultancy.com, back in about 95, and thought I'd make millions from just selling the domain name, to be honest, to someone like KPMG or Accenture. That didn't happen, unfortunately, <laughs> but it was the era of sort of, you know, eToys, eBay, yeah. and I had eConsultancy, but, uh, so yeah, that was the name. But, um, but yes, you're right, in, in, it was in the dot-com days when I was working at what is now Digitas LBI, the agency. And uh, I sort of saw that we were, everyone, agencies and the clients, were making mistakes again mm. and again and again because no one knew what best practice was, how mm. things worked, what things didn't work. There was a lot of hype. Um, and uh, that's originally why I set up eConsultants, to try and demystify some of the hype and actually help people figure out what works and what doesn't. Well, I think, I, think, I think companies are still making plenty of mistakes, so plenty of room to go. Tell us about what is eConsultancy in the business model. Um, well, I get our proposition, we talk about helping individuals or organizations achieve digital excellence. So it's quite focused on uh, the doing, I suppose, the how-to and the best practice rather than just uh, data and trends, although we do that as well. The way in which we help people do that is either of our content, broadly speaking, that we publish, whether that's free articles or paid access research, a similar model to a, you know, a forester or a gardener, someone like that. Um, and then that's, uh, there are events and all sorts of training um, surrounding that. So some of it's online, some of it's face-to-face, -face, different formats. Sometimes it's a roundtable with senior-level peers. Sometimes it's a bigger uh, conference-type event. So it, it kind of comes across in all sorts of different ways, but fundamentally we're just trying to help educate people and help them do their job, really. How many people work for your consultancy and in how many countries are you located? There's probably not quite 100, but let's call it 100 to keep the numbers nice and uh, easy, of which most um, sort of 75 to 80 are in the UK, uh, London sort of headquarters, which is where it started. We set up an office in New York in 2009, uh, and we have an office in Singapore as well. Um, we briefly had an office in, in Dubai. Uh, we don't at the moment, but uh, maybe we will again sometime soon. And um, Also, we do quite a lot in Australia as well, even though we don't have an office there at the moment. All right, so you have the material that you can download 
for free, you download for paying, but you also organize contracts with companies. What is, how does it look like if I'm a CMO or, and I'm interested in, in, in gaining more access to e-consultancy, what are the types of programs or packages you provide? Well, we have all sorts of different levels of subscription, and that ranges from a sort of single user access to uh, most of our paid content, which is just under £500 a year. So, you know, hopefully it's very affordable. Uh, we have a sort of small business level that's about £1,000. And then our enterprise subscription depends on number of users, um, access to certain um, sort of premium products or services like our quarterly trends, uh, case studies database we're just about to launch, e-learning. So there's a whole load of, um, you know, the pricing depends on number of users and, and what you get, I suppose, roughly. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, there we have people paying from sort of five, somewhere between probably five to 10,000 to 50,000 plus mm-hmm. uh, a year. All right, so today, I mean, you guys are, are, are creating a lot of content, helping companies understand better the digital world. And there are other people that are also now in the space to say that content is, is, is out there all the time. So how do you describe the e-consultancy point of difference versus the competition that's out there now? I think, well, there are a lot of people who, whether that's the uh, sort of publishers, I suppose, who talk about news and, and, and have jobs boards and things, or there are the market analysts, um, and they can be very good at helping tell you uh, what is happening, um, possibly even have a view on why it's happening, but I'm not sure they're very good at you know, helping you actually then do anything about mm-hmm. it. So I think that, you know, not so long ago, it might have been the case that people were still wondering whether digital was really, you know, as great as it was cracked up to be and how much money should they be investing? Mm-hmm. Is this a strategic issue or not? I think everyone's mm-hmm. kind of got past that, frankly, now. So, it, you know, shareholders, the C-level people all buy into the fact that they've got to do digital one way or another. Mm-hmm. So, you know, having a chart that tell you, tells you that digital is important is sort of actually not really very valuable anymore, as much as it might have been, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Um, the big challenge, I feel, is, okay, so given we now know that, you know, mobile is a big thing, really, um, what are you going to do about it? Mm-hmm. And so I think that that's where I feel, you know, our proposition or our USP is, mm-hmm. where we're unique, is, mm-hmm. yes, we'll tell you about the kind of the what and the why, but what about the how? Mm-hmm. How do you actually turn that into a reality? Because I think that's the, the real challenge, is an executional one. Mm-hmm. All right, well, so you, you guys produce a lot. You, you curate a lot of content. And as a publisher in a certain kind of way, or I think of in, the, in my world of, of retail as a buyer, because you, you now have, you curate this. How would you describe the point of view of e-consultancy and the way you select what you're providing? And is there, is, how would you describe that? Well, in terms of deciding what we're going to cover, we now have sort of 10 core digital topics, and one can debate whether they're the right ones or not, but you need to have some kind of taxonomy to, uh, to navigate things. So we have those 10, 10 um, key areas, and then within that we look at what we think are user needs. So they might need data, they might need best practice, they might be looking for a supplier, they might need template files. So there's a certain sort of areas within that, and that's based on talking to our customers and finding out what they need where the pain is and things. Mm-hmm. But I suppose, in, in, so those are the formats, I suppose, mm-hmm. and, the, and the kind of domain space we operate in. Um, but in terms of a point of view, um, we, we do have, um, 
We've always, I suppose, taken quite a ground-up point of view. So, for example, on our blog, we have a certain uh, guidelines in terms of sort of styles and things, but mm-hmm. actually we quite like having all sorts of different voices and opinions. Uh, some of them are our editorial staff. Some of them are guest contribut- uh, contributors. Um, you know, I have my views. I wouldn't necessarily uh, need to agree with other people in e-consultancy, actually, because... Mm-hmm. I think, you know, we try very hard to be connected to the top experts in the world in their field and bring them in to give their expertise and their views. Mm -hmm. But the reality is a lot of this stuff is very fast-moving, fast-changing. We don't always pretend to have the absolutely right answer, um, but we're sort of, you know, running hard to try and get as close to that as possible. But so it's a sort of a a bit more of a kind of confederation, I suppose, of views in terms of having an angle or strong viewpoint on something. Um, but um, but primarily it's about talking to people who you know, on the ground doing this stuff and just getting their honest views on, on what they see happening and, and what's working and what's not. What's also nice, uh, Ashley, is that you um, are part of the contributors as well. You, you you produce your own material. You produce something on the marketing trends. What was the the uh, the key conclusion of the um, of your marketing trends piece that you just wrote in your mind? Yes, uh, yeah, thanks for that little plug. There is a, if you, if hopefully if you Google sort of digital marketing trends or e-commerce trends, at least at the moment I'm coming top. Uh, I see it was working. <laughs> so, so it's a good piece of content marketing in its own right, obviously. Sure. Um, yes, no, I do. I, I sometimes wish I had more time to, I do quite a lot of speaking and I wish I could do more writing. I do a column for Marketing Week uh, and, and write for e-consultancy when I find the time. And yes, each year it seems to have become a tradition now that I do my, Sort of predictions and trends for the year, which I've done, and you can download that now. It's, uh, it's, it's ballooned to 40 pages. <laughs> I try to keep it shorter, but there is a blog post with just 10, you know, right. the classic uh, listicle. Okay. Um, but, um, I mean, yeah, it's interesting. There's Every year I sometimes sort of think, well, there's nothing much new happening now, and then... Actually, when, when you're in it the whole time, it seems yeah. like, well, I've done that before, mobile, gosh, yeah. we're talking about that again. Yeah, no, exactly. You say social, mobile, data, and and think, yeah, yeah, surely this has been sort of, you know, is fixed by now. Well, of course, in practice, A, turning some of these theories and thinking into realities is harder than it might seem. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and that's true for e-consultancy ourselves. Our our own website still isn't responsive uh, to mobile devices, despite that being clearly something we should be doing, and we are working on it. But, you know, you realize that it's easy to say these things sometimes, a bit harder to do it. Um, same with data, you know, data-driven decision-making, marketing automation, conversion rate optimization, all stuff we talk about and mm-hmm. preach, and we're starting to do ourselves mm-hmm. a bit better. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, it's not, it's not easy, all mm-hmm. of this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but yet, I suppose there was uh, this year, I think, you know, there's some broad themes around um, focus on customer experience as part of a sort of customer-centric in increasing you know, customer centricity, mm-hmm. um, I think particularly as evidenced through the customer experience through digital mm-hmm. touch points, mm-hmm. including, for example, responsive design mm-hmm. um, for websites. Um, and probably the other big one, you know, yes, there are things like social and mobile and video and data, but I think actually multi-channel or integrated marketing mm-hmm. or omni-channel mm-hmm. or whatever you want to call it, but mm-hmm. trying to join up the digital sort of experiences mm-hmm and or business models with the sort of offline stroke traditional, whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. that is a, a sort of a mega trend along with customer centricity, mm-hmm. actually, that I think you know, is, is certainly true this year and actually will be for many years to come. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Within that, um, you know, there's all sorts of tech trends which are interesting, Internet of Things and wearables, sensors, you know, all sorts of really fascinating stuff mm -hmm. um, in terms of localization, geo-targeting with beacons and uh, payments. You know, fast, you know, it seems boring on the surface, but actually, you know, you look at what is possible via payments. I mean, it's social payments, mobile yeah. payments. You saw that thing, you know, it's some fascinating stuff happening in China, but the, um, you know, that Xiaomi sent, selling 150,000 phones in 10 minutes via WeChat. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, yeah. And they way. Even, yeah, they even in, at the, on the big Monday, they sold a 3 million uh, euro carat diamond ring as well. Yeah, no, it is. It's, it's, it's amazing. And, uh, in fact, we're hoping to have some, uh, maybe some Chinese speakers over to the UK at some of our events this year because I think sometimes the, sort of the West assumes that the East is somehow behind yeah. the West, but actually in some areas, particularly in some of this tech stuff, yeah. it's amazing how quickly things are happening so there. So. And you are mentioning payment. I mean, the, the news out of Lloyd's over the weekend in South Korea with Neiman Marcus and Target and payment issues and hacking, I think there's going to be a whole lot of uh, focus in on, on payment security of the data. We're talking data, but the security of the data becomes one of the interesting zones to focus in on. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's this tension that exists generally between, um, broadly speaking, from a customer experience point of view, you want to make things as frictionless as possible, mm -hmm. and certainly that is true of payments. So I think sometimes the barrier to payments mm -hmm has been a clunky experience. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, you know, at the same time, though, you've got sec security challenges, and in increased security usually means a sort of Another more difficult day. user mm -hmm. experience. So that's, there's, you know, there's always been that tension, and there still is. Mm -hmm. um, so, and it's not an easy thing to crack, but, mm -hmm. um, but, you know, rightly, I think there's a lot of, you know, there's a huge lot of developments and potential there. Mm -hmm. All right, so you, you deal with a lot of CEOs, actually, um, dealing with this digital marketing, digital transformation. How do you describe the biggest challenges for CEOs these days? Depends a bit, obviously, on the size and nature of the company, whether it's a pure play digital or a, a multi-channel player. But I think that we've moved. If you look at the sort of macroeconomic picture from the, um, you know, the sort of, it feels, for whatever reason, you know, the broader economy feels slightly more positive now. Um, and so there's, a, there's more um, desire for growth, for example. So um, I think CEOs are looking at growth rather than cost-cutting, mm -hmm. and, um, and I think they've been through a period of years of, of trying to reassess their business models um, mm -hmm. as challenged by not only the financial recession but digital, broadly mm -hmm. speaking. Mm -hmm. So, you know, they've gone through quite a lot of sort of turbulent years and, and now are, you know, bought into, I think, digital in the broad sense and mm -hmm. multi-channel. Um, so the will and the investment increasingly um, is there. So I think the challenge now is um, uh, is accelerating the rate of change, mm -hmm. uh, and within that, how to prioritize which things to do first or mm -hmm. not, because there's so much to be done. And specifically around digital, um, the you know a huge part of that is a people and cultural mm -hmm. challenge. So. Mm -hmm given you've got the business model, you've got the investment, you've got the will and all that sort of stuff, which I think increasingly that they do at the most senior level, there's still a challenge that 
the C-level people sometimes don't really understand a lot of this digital stuff because they haven't grown up with it. Right. They understand it strategically and from a business point of view, but it's not something they natively have done. So mm-hmm. there's a bit of a you know educational challenge there, arguably. But it's just about you know how do you make it happen? How mm-hmm. do you find the right people to make it happen? How do you embrace new ways of working like agile? How do you mm-hmm. change the culture to be more innovative and mm-hmm. you know all the sorts of things that they want to do? Right. But doing that is, is, you know, is tough. And prioritizing because, you know, every day they'll be saying, oh, big data, got to do that. Okay. Um, Mobile, got to do that. Video, got to do that. Social, got to do that. And so I think it's quite bewildering for for some people in in that position to, in in, in how to prioritize. Um, So, so that, the speed of change and actually the um, getting the right people and culture, uh, I think are probably the, the hardest bits about actually yeah. making this stuff happen well because you end up if you're in an industry you end up with the deck you have it's you have to find ways to, to organize them to what extent do you believe that a ceo ought to actually be doing social him or herself uh, yeah i think i certainly think that um he or she should be immersing um you know themselves in uh, in in some of these digital things now I like quite like the idea, for example, some CEOs have a, a mentor, not necessarily a senior level person. It might be a sort of graduate who's just started within the company um, who can, um, you know, go through or show actually in practice how this stuff works. Now, I think so initially it's just not being afraid to say, I don't really understand this, you know, in practice. and I'd like to see it do it or see it being done in practice just to sort of see how it actually is. So a little uh, bit of humility. Yes, uh, and I, um, it's, it's, I think it's fine to say that, you know, these, these are sort of smart, successful people. It's, uh, it, to, to, to say, well, this is a totally new thing. Right. I'd like to embrace it. There's nothing wrong, I think, with that. But, right. And I think it's quite exciting to learn something new. You know, so it's a, the challenge is time often, but right. trying to set aside the time to, to do some of this stuff. So, you know, seeing it in action would be the first step. Then, you know, does it make sense for the individual himself or herself to actually go and start doing it? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that the, um, you know, we would always encourage that. But I do think it's, again, slightly easy to say that. But if you're CEO of a, you know, of a FTSE 100 PLC, you do have to be That's careful right. and responsible mm-hmm. about the things you say and don't say. Um, but I think um, it's it does humanise the brand. Um, but again, if you are if it's a very large company, how do you deal with all of the, you know, the fact that if you are tweeting, say that you're going to get people coming back to you, you know, who's going to who's going to re- do that, re- do those replies and things? You know, I personally try and you know, reply to anything when I have these contacts. But the re- if I was in a very large company, I could see that it would get difficult to manage. And then, so if you start outsourcing that then you kind of lose that immediacy and the whole, the whole point of it in the first place. Mm-hmm. And so I don't think there's necessarily any easy answer to that mm-hmm. um, other than probably clearly, clearly setting expectations with you know, customers mm-hmm. or people you're interacting with that mm-hmm. it's not realistic for you to you know, reply to every single tweet. Maybe I think people understand that. So, um, so broadly, yes, I think it is good certainly for, these, for CEOs to see this stuff in action. And then I think in terms of actually being present uh, on some of the social um, sort of networks, social media, I think, yes. Um, but in, you've got to think through in practice what role will they play in doing that you know, versus the rest of the company. 
um, how much time you know they can commit to it in reality. Mm-hmm. So just sort of setting some boundaries of expectations, yeah. both with internal staff and customers. Yeah, I'm just going back on the the mentoring story. My experience is that yeah, it's great to have a mentor, but first of all, a men- the first is that they really actually do need to know what they're talking about. Second of all, what sort of credibility do they have with regard to business acumen? Oh, you should get on Twitter, sir. You know, it's really much better. Well, your why. Yeah. And their ability to articulate the reason why is complicated. The other point that I like to talk about is the, the notion of listening. So you don't have to do it to tweet. You can, you can get on Twitter, as you were saying, a little bit to observe and listen. And then finally, there's the, the execution component. And probably, in my experiences, it's... Yes, yeah, set your expectations. I like that idea. And focus in on one channel so that it becomes it's at least a digestible thing if you're going to say, I'm going to be on Twitter, I'm only going to be on Facebook, or I'm only going to be on LinkedIn, or whatever you might decide. But then at least you're channeling your energies on one area and you have a better chance of not being over, you know, uh, washed out by too yeah. many things. Yes, no, I think that makes sense. And I think also you do, um, you probably. You know, obviously, say these are smart people. Once they see this sort of the thing in action, they can probably judge for themselves that you know. For me, for example, LinkedIn is a very powerful and useful tool, not for communicating necessarily. Um, you know, something like Twitter mm-hmm. is better than that, or mm-hmm. some blog type um, sort of platforms. Um, but for finding future employees, finding speakers at events, you know, so as a network of connections, mm-hmm. LinkedIn is very useful for me now. If I was doing that in, in some other countries, in, in sort of continental Europe, for example, I might want to look at different, or South America, Same. different, exactly, <clears throat> different platforms or networks like that. So I think over time you should you start to get a feel for where you can best mm. invest your time, mm. which is most suitable for your customers or for you personally, how mm. you feel comfortable communicating and things. Mm. You know, so it's, even if you look at blogging, for example, um, or, or communicating, you've got everything from sort of Twitter through to a sort of Tumblr, Google Plus right. type format, which is, tends to be a little bit shorter, to mm-hmm. a slightly longer form like blogging, through to kind of long form um, content. Um, and, and so picking a, a sort of a medium or a form of communication like that, which you can commit to and which you feel comfortable with, I think you know, the different platforms offer different opportunities. So, um, so it's a little bit exp- experimentation. Um, um, but, um, but yeah, I'd certainly encourage... I think it is useful for people to experience it themselves. Uh, you know, God, this has been a topic I, I, I love to dig in on because the challenge for the CEO is actually who is going to give them that advice and who is going to accompany them. So you have the mentor, but then who's going to choose the mentors? HR. Is the HR person capable of identifying a digitally switched on, you know, and with business acumen person who's going to be able to provide that countenance for the CEO. Then you talk about agencies, and a lot of the major CEOs of agencies are still not on Twitter, are still not actually active themselves. So how, how are they going to, even though they might have the, the justification and the, um, you know, the presence to be able to, to talk with other CEOs intelligently, they themselves aren't doing it themselves. So who are the people who are able to get in, who have the CEO's ears, who can legitimately bring them on board and show them that Zing is the right thing in Germany and Viedo is the right thing in France or not? Yeah, I, um, I mean, I, I think first off, um, if initially just the, whether mentor is the right word or not, I suppose it's about seeing and 
experimenting with the actual tools or platforms themselves just in a pra very practical sense. And that could be a very junior level person who knows nothing about the business or anything, but is literally, you know, this is how the interface works. This mm -hmm. is what I do when I'm using it. And the CEO should be able to judge for him or herself, well, that's kind of interesting. I could see how that might work for me or for the business. So mm -hmm. somebody is literally just going through, mm -hmm. here's how to set Open up, up a LinkedIn profile. Here's what the data you enter. Here's how you connect with people. Here's how, mm -hmm. you know, you can use InMail to connect with other people. And if you're sort of halfway smart, you can look at that and go, ooh, that's kind of interesting. Mm -hmm. I could see how we could use that. Mm -hmm. um, so the sort of the business judgment bit can happen to some degree by the, the CEO, him or herself, I think. Um, but beyond that, um, I mean, as I, I think talking to other CEOs, obviously, who have, who have done it and had experiences, yeah. so peers um, is, is a useful uh, sort of forum for getting um, uh, sort of feedback. Um, and yes, obviously, there are agencies and consultancies and there's the internal digital team and things like that and, uh, you know, should talk to all sorts of these people. You're right. It's difficult sometimes to know who, who quite to trust and everyone's got their opinion. Right. And I do, th again, it's, you know, different CEOs have um, different styles, you know. So if you talk about leadership, for example, um, which, you know, presumably is part of the sort of CEO role, then um, the, the truth is there's all sorts of studies around this. But I think now the sort of common wisdom is that there are different sorts of leaders, actually. It's not always that a leader has to be a big a sort of Steve Jobs charismatic visionary. Who was never on Twitter. <laughs> yeah. Yes, Apple, actually, interesting, not very uh, social. Um, so... Um, you know, there are different styles that work. And again, I think to some degree, talking about social, is, is an expression of oneself and or the brand or mm -hmm. the company. Mm -hmm. Then, um, you know, different individuals will naturally, you know, use these media in slightly different ways. And I think that that's okay. So mm -hmm. some people might just love to communicate all the time. Mm -hmm. um, some people are much quieter and more strategic and in the background and, Again, I'm not sure it's necessarily always the case that they must be on the, you know, they're on, present on these social networks, or if they are in any one particular incarnation. So, um, uh, so yeah, I, I think it's um, for them to have the practical experience or practical seeing how the thing right. works, talking to other kind of peers about what they've done. But then there is a level of, so what are they personally comfortable with? Mm -hmm. Because otherwise right. it just gets a bit cringeworthy, you right. know. Totally. So if they, they do it and it's fake or doesn't ring true, that's Absolutely. worse than not doing it at all, Absolutely. I think. I think at the end of the day, it may not have to be the CEO, but at least someone in the C-suite's doing it. So we're talking social, Ashley. Um, question for you about Google+. Plus. Are you for or against? What, what do you think of the perspectives of Google+. Plus? Yeah, it's, um, I, um, I find myself personally um, not using it that much. Um, and, you know, the numbers, whilst quite big and uh, sort of theoretically encouraging, are still very small compared to, um, you know, the Twitters and Facebooks um, of this world. But um, I, think there, I think there's a broader interesting trend, which is about... Uh, people wanting to find niche uh, networks or platforms or smaller, actually, communities of interest. So, and there is, this is a threat, uh, um, arguably, for the likes of Facebook. You know, mm -hmm. if Facebook becomes just the sort of just massive, I mean, it already is massive. Mm -hmm. 
but um, sprawling un- yeah. unclear zones so you know facebook is getting challenged then by the whatsapp so this you know in the younger sort of end of the thing spectrum uh, and the WeChats and, and etc. And on the other end, some people are kind of information or friend or like or whatever overload, mm-hmm. and are gravitating to other um, places in which mm-hmm. they can curate maybe their their networks more mm-hmm. carefully. And maybe I, I sense some people have learned from having gone on to whether it's Facebook or Twitter and liked and followed or whatever mm-hmm. everyone. Mm-hmm that they suddenly go, hang on a sec, I need to cut this back. You know, and I see people creating new accounts in order to start again but do it properly this mm. time, as it were, mm. or starting to try and curate things a bit more. And I think what's quite nice about Google Plus in that regard is that um, it's with it's the idea of the circles and things, that mm. it feels like it's... Um, it's actually most or more useful at the moment, I think, for a sort of business or professional purposes... Um, where the kind of people who are active on it probably are the sort of digital marketing type people. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Google have never really claimed that they wanted it to be a, a sort of social media network in mm-hmm. the style of a Facebook. Mm-hmm. It was more just a way of better controlling, and there's obviously there's a privacy um, element to this, mm-hmm. one's um, sort of closer network of contacts so that it was a sort of identity platform rather than a social network, mm, if you see what I mean. I now, and I think that is longer term very powerful and actually mm. quite important, mm. you know, with all this sort of privacy and information overload thing that having a, um, being able to manage one's identity and control what people see and don't mm. see is very important. Um, and so the earlier days of social media, it felt very much about just throwing it mm. out there uh, and, and going for big numbers of counts and friends and likes or whatever. And I think people are now starting to refine that a bit. Mm. That's not uh, you know, where they want that, but also they probably want their own a slightly more curated, filtered world mm. or environment, whether that's contacts or uh, content. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think you know, Google Plus it, it works slightly better for that, mm. that kind of an experience. But, you know, it, it's just how many of these things can one manage and sure. the amount of time that you've got. So, you know, if you're saying, well, you need to be on Facebook and LinkedIn and Twitter and, you know, uh, and, and Google Plus and WeChat and, you know, all these, other, these things, it all takes time. And so I, in, in the end, what I imagine one might end up with a sort of your mass market kind of platform, a Facebooky, Twitter type mm-hmm. thing. And then a more private, curated, controlled environment, and, and I can see something like Google Plus might work better for that. But then, you know, I don't know entirely what Google's ambitions or aims are for that. But the downside is it, it can never be maybe have quite as big a numbers as a Facebook. But maybe they don't care. Well, I don't know. And uh, how much does the Google Plus feature as part of the consultancy distribution strategy? Not that much at the moment. Um, it tends to be quite, um, I suppose, a bit like LinkedIn, where we LinkedIn is provides a lot of value but not much volume, mm-hmm. if you see what I mean. So it it's a sort of rifle marketing. So if you want to find an influential person, I can almost certainly do it on LinkedIn or probably Google+, but I wouldn't use Facebook for it, for mm-hmm. example. For Twitter, sure. probably yes. So Twitter is very powerful for e-consultancy for driving lots of reach, awareness, and traffic. Mm -hmm. Google Plus isn't, but the kind of people who we interact with on Google Plus are disproportionately influential, I would say. That's interesting. And uh, so, Ashley, uh, you are at the the forefront of of all that's going on in digital, but you must have some uh, inspirations. Who are the people that you like to listen to and and follow? 
Oh, well, there's, um, you know, there's a range of people that I like um, uh, reading. Um, off the top of my head, there's uh, Simon Andrews, who runs an agency called Addictive, who have a, a weekly newsletter, which I think is fantastic, um, particularly strong on, on mobile. I mean, that's what their kind of area of, but it's broader than that. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's quite strategic. It's customer experience, payments, all sorts of things. So uh, that's one I fairly religiously read. Uh, Neil Perkin, who we work with a lot um, on our uh, quarterly trends thing and his um, Only Dead Fish, and he does all sorts of things. But um, I think, you know, I love a lot of the stuff that uh, that he's doing. In fact, he has an interesting startup sort of on the side called Fraggle, which is a um, interesting because it's a it curates um, Twitter. So um, it's a mixture of algorithmically driven curation and human intervention. So I think, you know, playing to this sort of idea of um, uh, people wanting increasing filters or curation or aggregation, um, he's doing that as an experiment of both combining human and algorithmic curation mm-hmm. of Twitter. So, um, so yes, that's, that's good. And then otherwise, um, I mean, I like the certain business leaders who I, I um, you know, pretty much everything that Jeff Bezos says I, I think is very smart in terms of the customer eccentricity. Um, Centricity or centricity? Well, a bit of both, really. I doubt it's, uh, you know, everything you hear about Amazon, it's probably not a very fun place to work. And uh, I imagine Jeff Bezos, a bit like Steve Jobs, is not the most, it's pretty demanding. Yeah. Um, So, um, but but from a business strategy kind of point of view and the relentless focus on on the customer, I think, is absolutely right. Um, I like a lot of what uh, Angela Arendt, who's obviously just left CEO at, at Burberry, mm-hmm. but what she's achieved at um, Burberry, I think, is is brilliant and is you know everything that I would preach, um, you know, and talk about digital transformation. I think that's a fantastic example there. You talk about multi-channel integration, mm-hmm. culture, mm-hmm. everything. I mean, I think she mm-hmm. you know achieved a lot of that at Burberry, and of course is now um, going to Apple. So it'll be fascinating to see what happens there. Um, so, um, so, yeah, there's a couple. Those are great, Ashley. Love them. And plus, a new one for me. So, um, Ashley, thanks for coming on the show. Time is now run out for us. Uh, how can uh, someone track you down, listen to you, follow you? What's the best avenue? Uh, well, um, all sorts. I mean, I'm, I'm on Twitter, um, obviously, having said at the beginning. I'm on at Ashley Friedline, mm-hmm. um, if you can spell Friedline, which is the tricky bit. That's it's true. F-R-I-E-D. L-E-I-N mm-hmm. uh, or um, on LinkedIn uh, again just uh, search for me there or um, you can connect with me on LinkedIn I basically accept any connections if people work in sort of digital or marketing so uh, reasonably um, reasonably open to connecting as long as it's vaguely professionally related um, otherwise through the consultancy you know phone numbers or uh, email ashley.freedline at econsultancy.com so yeah any of those that's brilliant Ashley thanks for coming on the show appreciate listening to you and giving me the time to Share your words of wisdom. It's uh, you're a man who walks the talk, and uh, you're very a genial uh, CEO. Thanks for coming on. Thank you very much. Thanks for having listened to this recording of the Minter Dialogue Internet Show. You'll find the show notes on themindset.com, where you can also sign up for my weekly newsletter at forward slash subscribe. If you like the show, please rate it in iTunes, and don't forget to click the handy Facebook like button or to tweet it out. In the meantime, please come join the conversation at the Mindset. Or catch me on Twitter at M-D-I-A-L. Happy trails.
Bruce Martin, host of Pit Pass Indy. Each week, I go behind the scenes of the NTT IndyCar Series and introduce our listeners to the biggest stars of IndyCar, which features the Indianapolis 500 as its cornerstone event. The men and women that compete in IndyCar may be the bravest athletes in all of sport as danger lurks around every corner. They are able to look danger in the eye without flinching. That is why the NTT IndyCar Series features the best racing on the planet. Join me every week as we talk to the stars of IndyCar, including the legends of the Indianapolis 500 on Pit Pass Indy from Evergreen Podcast. 